Welcome to the WGN Radio Theater Program 472 in the series. It's June 6th, 2020. My co-host is the lovely Lisa Wolf. And Lisa, you know what? What? We have eight classic radio shows. That's one more than seven and one less than nine. It is a great evening for eight classic radio shows. That is just the perfect number for WGN Radio Theater every That's Saturday right. night. We'll be here till three o'clock in the morning playing all your favorite classic radio shows. Now listen to this lineup. Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, The Craft Music Hall with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, The Mysterious Traveler, Bold Venture with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, Mr. and Mrs. Blandings starring Cary Grant, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Tom Conway, The Columbia Workshop, and Bill Stern Sports Newsreel. That's all coming your way. But I want to remind everyone that's listening that if you have some fine jewelry that you don't wear anymore and you want to turn it into cash like I did and like some of my friends did, some of my family did, you want to get to know Matt Burdeen at Burdeen's Jewelers. Burdeen's has a toll-free number to call, 800 875-4418. If you call Matt Burdeen, tell him you heard this radio ad. He will give you a free appraisal on your fine jewelry. Now, why let that fine jewelry sit in a dresser drawer or in a safety deposit box when you can turn it into cash? And Matt will pay you top dollar. I've sent him all kinds of business, and my friends and family have been really, really satisfied. And I know, Lisa, you sort of revitalize some of your jewelry, right? I did. And most importantly, I trust you, Carl. And if you trust Matt, then I trust Matt. That's that's how it goes. Yeah. Call Matt Burdeen, 800-875-4418. Mention this radio offer. Now, you can go to his website, too. That's burdeens.com, B-U-R. D-E-E-N-S dot com. He has all kinds of wonderful jewelry for sale there, or you can sell him your fine jewelry, or you can revitalize your jewelry. All right, we have Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, coming your way right after this short break. Hour one of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, playing eight classic radio shows for you. My co-host, Lisa Wolf. Our executive producer is Mike Costella. We're going to start things off with Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. This was a detective series that starred William Gargan, came to NBC Radio in 1951, lasted until 1955. Gargan was a laid-back private eye working out of New York. He was your man when you can't go to the cops. Ralph Bell portrayed his associate, Lieutenant Travis Rogers, and the casts included Elspeth Eric, Santos Ortega, and Arnold Moss. Now, Blake Edwards wrote and directed a 1952 TV pilot, but it was unsold. A few years later, Gargan had played a similar character on TV called Martin Kane, Private Eye. Right now, it's a radio broadcast from July 8th, 1952. This is called The Long Way Home. Here's William Gargan now, uninterrupted in Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. It's a sad fact, but very few murderers ever amount to anything. They're in such a killing profession, and when they come to the end of their rope, there's always a noose attached to it. 
National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. Ever notice the fact that the work a man does leaves its mark on him? Nine times out of ten, you can spot a doctor, a lawyer, a butcher, a baker half a block away. I wonder what a confidential investigator looks like. <laughs> he looks like me. I figured the above philosophy represented a good day's work. The shadows were creeping along Madison Avenue, and I got out of the office. And I locked the door behind me. Maybe I could fool a burglar into thinking I had something worth stealing. I hoped I wasn't waking Jake. A night elevator man needs his sleep. Something was wrong. He'd started the elevator up almost before I'd finished pushing the buzzer. You can spoil tenants awful fast that way. Jake? Hey. You suffering from insomnia? No. You've been reading a book on how to get ahead in the world? No. Well, uh, stop chattering and let's get started. Ah, you got the door shut fine. Now we're supposed to go down. Oh, glad you reminded me. They didn't have any elevators down on your farm in Vermont. No. It figures. No office buildings, neither. That figures, too. No shiny cars, no blondes. What did you do during the long winter evenings? Decided to leave the farm, Mr. Craig. <laughs> Well, right about now is when you open the elevator door. Ain't sure I should. Why? Taint the farm. Meaning uh, we've got elevators, office buildings, shiny cars, and uh, a blonde? Yep. I'm not afraid of blondes. Back in Vermont, it was her pop usually carried the gun. But here? She's carrying it. Must be a strain on her. Open up, Jay. Yep. Where'd you hide her? The shiny car. Outside? That's the one. Oh, I like them, that shape. Long, rounded, smooth. You mean the car? Oh, sure. As far as the blonde goes, there's not a wrinkle or a gun on her. A bag. Oh. I see it when she powdered her nose. Well, uh, maybe it's a trick cigarette case. No. She could be waiting for somebody else. Nobody else in the building. Then I'd better not keep her waiting. After all, you can only die once. Once is enough. Don't remind me. Besides, blondes rarely have any reason to shoot me. Boasting? Just being wistful. Good night, Jake. Night, Mr. Craig. Oh, I've been waiting long. Not very. Beautiful night. Isn't it? The name's Craig. I know. Well, Jake could be wrong. Who's Jake? The nightman. He wasn't wrong. Then I get in? Please. Okay. Well, the name's still Craig. I'm Mona Walsh. Mrs. Walsh? Mrs. Walsh. How's Mr. Walsh? Uh, that's why I was waiting for you. We're going to see him? I hope not. Uh, 
I could think of an easy explanation. Mona Walsh had seen me, had been carried away by my rugged physique and my mildly scrambled features, and was now carrying me off to a tryst among the pines, or maybe the maples. It was too easy an explanation, and it didn't include the gun. We're going someplace, or just cruising? I'm trying to find words, the best way to tell you. I've been a confidential investigator for quite a while. You don't have to find the best way. My husband isn't Mr. Walsh. He's Ted Walsh. Well, what difference is that? Wait a minute. Ted Walsh? That's right. The Ted Walsh. If I remember my newspaper headlines correctly, he's killed a few men here and there. Yes. His last little effort was robbing a bank someplace in Massachusetts. And killing a guard. And killing a guard. Nice guy. I didn't know what he was when I married him. You probably won't believe that. If you turn out to be a client of mine, I'll have to believe it. Well, it's true. I didn't know until just recently. When I found out, I left him. Came here to New York. Fair enough. You're in the clear. What's bothering you? Ted's in New York, too. New York's a big place. Ted's terribly in love with me. He came here for only one reason. You could keep your door locked. Oh, please don't joke. I wasn't joking. Keep your door locked and your telephone handy. The police would be glad to remove him from your doorstep. Ted would spot them. Then he'd know I told the police about him. He'd get away from them. He's done it before. He'd kill me. Possible. But if you watched for him, he wouldn't spot you. Then as soon as he came, you carry a gun, don't you? I've got a license, too. Well, then everything would be all right, wouldn't it? Might be. That'd be a fee. I, I thought perhaps... Five hundred? Well, that's too high. I generally get fifty a day in expenses. Well, that doesn't seem enough. I run a one-price shop. Well, all right. This your place? Yes. Well, let's get out. Small house. Stay there alone? Yes. I can see why you'd worry. Uh... I, I feel nervous, exposed, standing around like... Well, we'll try the house. I'd better go in with you. Of course. In case he's a little early. Oh, I haven't thought of... Don't get excited. I'm probably too careful. But we'll check anyway. Got your key? Oh, here. Uh, over to the side, huh? What? The lamppost out front throws some light. The house is dark. You'd make a nice target. Oh, all right. Yeah. So far, fine. Light switch near the door? To the left, on the way inside. Okay, stay where you are. Clear enough. Come on in. Got a latch on it? Uh-huh, good. Rest of the house now. I feel like a termite inspector. Except, uh, termites don't kill, do they? Mr. Walsh was not at home. Mrs. Walsh felt good about it. I didn't have time to get uh, philosophical about marriage. I checked the back of the house for good measure. A high fence took care of the garden and the back door. It was only the front door to worry about. You're alone in the house, Mrs. Walsh. Yes. When I shut this door behind me, you lock it. Of course. Then if your husband comes calling... I'll be safe. 
You won't have to use that gun you're carrying around anyway. You, you'll be out front someplace? Yeah. The nearest convenient doorway. I'll find one. It's one of the things you learn fast in my business. How to find convenient doorways. So long, Mrs. Walsh. So long. There was a small night light over the door. That was nice. It would light up Mr. Walsh neatly if he visited. I had my choice of two or three doorways from which I could watch the Walsh house and be close enough to have a clean shot at Ted Walsh. I passed them all up. I was looking for a phone, and I found one in a drugstore half a block away. Harry Craig here. Aloof tonight, eh? Watch those college words. People will think you're educated. I am. Tonight you're not ashamed of being a college graduate, Lieutenant? I'm all alone in the office. Mm. Nobody will ever find out. I'll tell them, Trev. Unless I do what? <laughs> no blackmail. I want some information, though. You might have it. You flatter the department. It's about Ted Walsh. Walsh? We'd like some information about him, too. For example, where to get in touch with him. I haven't got it. Trav, on that bank job he pulled in Massachusetts, was it a solo flight? A bank job's never solo, especially one involving $60,000. But Walsh was definitely in on it. So definitely he killed a guard. Thanks, Trav. Hey, uh, wait a minute. My curiosity's aroused. Try a cold shower. Good night, Trav. That, for what it was worth, was that... I went back to Mrs. Walsh's little gray home in the West. It looked the same. I pushed the button. Who, who is it? Mary Craig. Leave the door on the chain, but open it a crack, huh? All right. What's the matter? I've decided to throw up the job. What? Yeah, I'm resigning. But I don't understand. It's a clear saving of 50 bucks for you. Why are you... Let's say the hours are too long, huh? Good night, Mrs. Walsh. She was saying something as I went down the walk and away from the house. I didn't bother listening. I had to drop her. You see, I always believe a client, and Mona Walsh, however beautiful, was a liar. But however much of a liar she was, Mona Walsh was beautiful. So I hung around in one of those convenient doorways. With me apparently off the job, she'd need somebody else to keep Ted Walsh away from her. There wasn't much time left either. She wouldn't take a chance trying to find another gullible private detective. I was interested in who she would find. It took maybe a half hour for my replacement to show up. He was an anti-doorway boy. He picked an alley. I thought he looked lonely, so I dropped in on him. Hello. What? Hey, who? The name's Craig, Barry Craig. What do you want? I'm trying to find out what's special about this alley. Nothing. I'm crazy about alleys, that's all. You're sticking to that? Sure. Then... Uh, I oh. thought you'd be packing one. What? You ain't got no right taking a guy's gun. I'm a lot bigger than you are. Would you like to argue about it? Well, there's a... There's a dame in that house. Ted Walsh's wife. She's kind of worried he might show. She doesn't love him anymore? Oh, I wouldn't know nothing about that. 
The orders was he don't get to her. What does he get? Never mind. Who's got all the big concern for Mona Walsh? Oh, why don't you leave me alone? What's your angle? Maybe I want to send your boss flowers because he's a humanitarian. Feed me a name. I didn't tell you nothing, understand? Of course. It's, uh, Mr. Harold. Harold? Yeah, but remember, you didn't get it from me. I'll remember. Here's your gun. Oh, yeah. I'm worried about Mona Walsh, too. Oh, you don't have to worry about her. Nobody will get the jump on me again. I hope not. So long. You start with the kid stuff. Snatch and run. Knock over a couple of small stores. Move up into the hot cars and cold decks. Go on to delivering boats a few seasons. Take over a few wheels. Buy a few debts and you wind up being Mr. Harold. But by then you wear tailored suits and handmade shoes. What's the idea this hour? The name's Craig. Oh. Oh, Craig. I've seen the face around. Wait a minute now. You a private eye? Call it confidential investigator. Makes it seem more dignified. Yeah, well, call it what you want, but get out of here. Not until I see Harold. Let's make it Mr. Harold, huh? And he ain't seeing you. You ain't the type that appeals to him. He's seeing me. You pushing your luck or something? When I say you don't see Mr. Harold, you don't see him. So far, it's only your word. It's more than a word. Everybody's got one. Yours licensed? No, you care. Keep pushing and you're a trespasser. Okay. Yeah, Mr. Harold. What's the uh, trouble? Yeah, I'm having words with a private eye who wants in. Oh, indeed. Uh, let him in, Bogan. I haven't seen one in years. Okay. Who knows? He may want to have his license renewed. Not exactly. The name's Craig. Uh, Bogan, put that gun away and leave us, hmm? Okay, Mr. Harold. Bogan is so impulsive. A little crude, too, or haven't you noticed? He, uh, doesn't polish easily. It's getting late. Uh, what's half of $60,000, Harold? $30,000. That kind of money worth a debt? I haven't seen the latest quotations. Ted Walsh knocked over a bank a couple of weeks ago. Killed a guard and collected $60,000. Hmm, an enterprising young man. He had a little help. The way I figure, it was 30000 for Ted, 30000 for uh, the help. Seems equitable enough, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but Harold, uh, how do you share the debt? Harold needed a little time. I let him have it. The room was nice. Good furniture, oak paneling on the walls. Small Renoir hung just where the light would hit it in the morning. A girl brushing her hair before a mirror. She looked like someone I'd seen, and for a minute I couldn't remember where. She looked like the girl who'd married Ted Walsh. You uh, must have some interest in the uh, rather sordid subject of Ted Walsh and his uh, peccadillos. Why? Mona Walsh. She tried to hire me. She's a lovely girl. You wouldn't hire? She lied to me. Sad. She wanted me to protect her against her husband. She'd heard he was here in New York. She didn't tell me who told her. Why? I really couldn't say. She wanted me to stake out in front of her house. So when Walsh got there, I'd take him. But Harold, uh, how would Ted Walsh have found her house? She wouldn't have told him, not if she was really afraid of him. Isn't all this Mona Walsh's problem? No, uh, Ted Walsh alive gets half of the $60,000. 
Ned Walsh dead gets a mouthful of dust in Potter's field. How picturesque. The problem is uh, how to kill Ted Walsh without annoying the police. The answer is hire a private detective, let Ted Walsh know where his lovely wife is, and uh, he heads for her. The private detective kills him. All nice and legal. I suppose it would be. Uh... Harold, you picked me to kill Ted Walsh for you. You're ruining my tie. Sorry, I have trouble with my temper sometimes. I don't like being a hired gun, Harold. You turned the job down, didn't you? What more do you want? I don't know. Maybe I'm worried because a liar is so lovely. I got out of there. I could have gone to lots of other places after that, but I didn't. I went back to my office and sat. I didn't have any doubts. Harold had set up Mona Walsh as a decoy. When I cried quits, one of his men moved in to protect her. Harold wanted Ted Walsh dead so he could hold on to all of the 60,000. And maybe Mona Walsh, too. It was an idea I didn't enjoy. I stopped having it. I was waiting without knowing what I was waiting for. I thought it might be nice if I had a Renoir to hang next to the dusty license on the wall. Then I thought of the people and the motives that kept me in business. I decided the Renoir wouldn't fit. The hours dragged by and I stopped kidding myself. Nobody phoned. Nobody would phone. I'd get up and go home and go to sleep. I got up, but I didn't go home. The street in front of Mona Walsh's house was empty and cold. The lights in Mona Walsh's house were out. And the boy in the alley wasn't there anymore. I was wrong. I hadn't gone deep enough. The alley closed in on me, and then I found him. He was propped up against the wall. His legs straight out before him, his head slumped down over his chest. He might have been brooding about the blood that had poured out of that chest if he hadn't been so completely dead. I left him there. He'd keep. He'd been dead some of the while. Somebody had shot him. He got past him into Mona Walsh's house. The lock on Mona Walsh's front door was in fine shape, except that the door wasn't locked. The living room was the way I'd remembered it. I went into the bedroom. She had fallen back across the bed. The stain on the front of her dress hadn't been her dressmaker's idea. Uh, hello. Mrs. Walsh. I thought, thought I'd hope maybe I'd see you again. Hold it. Emergency. An ambulance. 435 Ash. Gunshot wound. And make it quick. Yeah. Mr. Craig? Better not talk. Why? There'll be a doctor here in a couple of minutes. You've seen people like this before. I should be dead. Will you stop talking? No, I won't. What do you want me to do? Think about what my life has been. Shouldn't have married Ted. He's bad. Now you don't have to. I'm make... not making excuses. Only things happen. You lie about them. 
even to yourself. Now I don't have to lie anymore. Once the doctor gets here, you... Oh, oh, please. It's all going so fast now. Kiss me. Good night. Hey. When I was a little girl, my father always... arrived and made noises and were very busy. Mona Walsh didn't pay attention to any of them. Barry? Yes, Lieutenant? We haven't been able to get a thing. A couple of the neighbors heard the shots but thought they were a car backfiring. That happens. Which gives us the time Mrs. Walsh and the character in the alley were killed. An hour and ten minutes ago. Does knowing that make you feel any better? With all the deaths you've seen, Barry, you ought to be a little more callous about new ones. Maybe I don't try hard enough. Stay the way you are. It's better. Otherwise, you lose humanity. None of us can afford that. They teach you that in college? It's not taught anywhere. It's something you either know or don't know. Our policeman isn't supposed to give lectures, though, so... Ted Walsh is out in the open now. He must have pulled up for the last couple of weeks, but, uh... We know he's in New York now. We'll get him. Yeah, Mind if I get out now? No. Where are you going? We could uh, kill a few bears after I'm through here. Thanks, but not tonight, Sam. Because, you see, I... I won't be through for maybe uh, longer than that. I wasn't holding out on Trav. I had to be sure. There was only one place I could think of that might help. If I were Ted Walsh, I'd go visit Harold. I wasn't Ted Walsh, but I went to visit him anyway. I always enjoyed driving. It was a nice night for it. The only thing wrong was uh, a red stain on a girl's dress. There was a car parked outside Harold's house. It started pulling away as I came up. I didn't try to figure out anything subtle. I just cut my wheel right into it. Both cars stopped quick. I was out of mine before Bogan could quite make it. But he made it out of his car. Hello, Bogan. I don't know what's for your drive. Yeah, me. Oh, oh, you don't want the gun, but I do. Why, you bitch. You'll wake the neighbors. Thanks for the gun. Hey, warm, and it's been fired. Within very recent history. Now, listen. Let's see if there's anything else in your car, huh? No. Nothing that moves. Logan? Yeah. I can't take the time to deliver you. I'll have to put you on deposit for a little while. Heat keep. I thought Mr. Harrell might still be at home. Worrying about his car, maybe. Logan, what? Oh. Craig. We'll go inside. Now, look here. I've got Bogan's gun. All right. What do you want? Your car's in a bad way. That crash? Yeah, I'm a careless driver. Was Bogan hurt? He'll live. I, I'm going to call for a doctor for him. No. Now, now, look here. This is perfectly... You're perfect. nervous. 
I haven't anything further to say to you, Craig. One man's opinion, yours. I don't share it. You must have looked into the car. I did. Well, that can be explained easily. Explain it easily. You saw Ted Walsh's body in the back of the car. He was a killer. He apparently thought his wife and I had been uh, a little too friendly. Had you? Well, you know how it is, Craig. I don't know. Well, anyway, he came here. Threatened to kill me, so... Well, Bogan beat him to it, that's all. It was a case of self-defense. It would stand up at any court. Sure. Oh, there's no reason to lose your head. I haven't lost it. Where was Bogan delivering the body? To the aquarium? Well, you see, Bogan's record isn't too good. He was afraid the police might not readily accept a plea of self-defense. He wanted to dispose of the body. I... Well, I tried to dissuade him, but... I failed. As a matter of fact, I was just about to notify the police myself. Oh, I'm sure you were. I think you'll find the bullets in Ted Walsh's body came from Bogan's gun. I don't doubt it. Well, then, that sort of leaves me out of it, doesn't it? How about the bullets in the body of the boy you sent to guard Mona Walsh? How about the bullets in Mona Walsh's body? They... They're dead? They're dead. Oh, that's terrible. Sure. Ted must have got to them. He had a gun. The bullets in those bodies would have come from his gun. Don't you mean the gun you planted on him? looked a little sick. His face matched the way I felt. For a minute, I wished I'd developed those calluses Trav mentioned. And I forgot about it. Mr. Harold retreated behind his desk. Planted on him? Ted Walsh came here before he went to visit his wife for his share of the bank money. Walsh died here. Bogan saw to that. But you still didn't own all of that 60000 Mona Walsh might be considered to have a claim to half of it. So you decided to wipe out that claim. You're, you're dreaming. You had it for a house. You had to take care of the boy in the alley. Walsh would have had to in order to get to Mona. You took care of him. Then you went into the house and entered the partnership between you and Mona Walsh. No. Yeah. You came back here, planted the gun you'd used on Ted Walsh. Bogan would dump his body where it wouldn't be found for a while. That way, no medical examiner could tell that Walsh had died before his wife. That, that's very clever. You've got nothing to prove it with. It's Ted Walsh's body. Examination now will show he died before Mona did. A good lawyer could... I've got something else. Something that told me Ted Walsh hadn't killed his wife before I even came here. What's that? An unlocked door. I don't know what that means. Mona Walsh's door was unlocked when I got to her house. The lock hadn't been tampered with, which meant Mona had opened that door. But she wouldn't have opened it to her husband. She was afraid of him. She'd have opened it for you, Harold. I... You've been fumbling in that desk drawer long enough. Bring the gun up. Maybe you'll beat me to the shot, huh? I... I don't want to get involved. You're involved. There's nothing left except maybe a chance to take me. Well? Okay, Harold. You're better, much better at killing women. Let's go tell some cops about it, huh? listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Long Way Home, was written by Lou Vittis. Next week, it's the strange story titled Dead Reckoning, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, matter triumphs over mind when a corpse with no head for figures starts pitching his weight around. <laughs> 
with yours truly playing catch. Good night, folks. See you next week. Featured in the role of Mona was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. That's Barry Craig, confidential investigator from July 8th, 1952, with The Long Way Home, starring William Gargan, also in that cast, Barbara Weeks. That was directed by Hyman Brown, and Don Pardo did the announcing on there. You know, Don Pardo was the announcer on Saturday Night Live for many, many years Mm -hmm. until his death, and then uh, they had other announcers, of course, but Don Pardo announcing on that program. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, right now it's time for the Craft Music Hall. We'll listen to the first half, then we'll go to news, come back and play the second half. Craft Music Hall was a musical variety show heard on NBC from 1933 all the way until 1949. And it featured orchestra leader Paul Whiteman at first. Then in 1936, Bing Crosby became the host. He stayed on until 1946. Then Al Jolson took over, and it was a really great variety show. On this particular episode from April 13, 1944, it stars Bing Crosby, and his special guest is Bob Hope. A lot of fun. Here's part one now of the Craft Music Hall. The Craft Music Hall with Bing Crosby, John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, Marilyn Maxwell, the music maids and man, Yuki, the charioteers, and Bing's guest for this evening, Bob Holt, the famous actor, singer, dancer, and author. Hmm. And here with a new tune, <laughs> here with a new tune from his forthcoming picture going my way is Bing Crosby. <laughs> How would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a mule? A mule is an animal with long, funny ears Kicks up at anything he hears His back is brawny and his brain is weak He's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak And by the way, if you hate to go to school You may grow up to be a mule Or would you like to swing on a star Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a pig A pig is an animal with dirt on his face His shoes are a terrible disgrace He has no manners when he eats his food He's fat and lazy and extremely rude But if you don't care a feather or a fish You may grow up to be a pig Or would you like to swing on a star Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a fish A fish won't do anything but swim in a brook 
He can't write his name or read a book To fool the people is his only thought And though he's slippery, he still gets caught But then if that sort of life is what you wish You may grow up to be a fish Kind of jumped up slippery fish And all the monkeys are in the zoo Every day you meet quite a few So you see, it's all up to you You can be better than you are You could be swinging on a star And so, friends, with a brandy from the Paramount picture going my way, KMH cuts out for the battle stations of the world. And for the men at those battle stations, we feature tonight the only comic who has played for so many G.I.s that he now lays nothing but khaki eggs. <laughs> I'm speaking as if you didn't know of my aging colleague, <laughs> Rob Hope. Nice touch it is, too, having the old Cleveland pool hustler with us this evening Because tomorrow is Pan-American Day and Hope is fresh back from the Caribbean area Naturally, over and above Senor Spout Snout We have, as usual, John Scott Trotter and group Ken Carpenter And the luscious La Maxwell I saw you in the Easter Parade, Marilyn Did you like my new picture hat? I thought you had just the frame for it uh, Did you have a nice Easter Bing? Oh, it was exhausting, Marilyn Too exhausting My quartet of commandos ran me puffy hunting eggs <laughs> Upstairs, downstairs, all over the joint Finally, before finding Eddie an egg I had to give up and sit down Well, what happened when you sat down? Found the eggs <laughs> Did you get a load of me in the Easter Parade, Bing? Yeah. Oh, I guess around Easter, everybody gets the urge to splurge. Well, lay the details on me, Lucius. <laughs> Let me tell you, Harvey, I look pretty sharp in my new brown suit, uh, desert tan shirt, and gray fedora. I wore a navy blue tie and a powder blue shirt under an uh... Oxford gray tarpaulin. <laughs> I know what uh, Don't you even feel like sprucing up a little for Easter, Bing? Are you kidding, dear boy? I was a spread last Sunday. I was dressed like you've never seen me before. Well, what'd you have on? A tie. <laughs> I love to dress up It makes the whole world seem brighter Oh yes, but even so, Marilyn, you must remember Life is full of disappointments As you travel life's highway, you must shed a few tears on your way You may have a few setbacks on your way You may even meet some sorrow on your way Hey, I'm back On your way on... <laughs> Listen, you'll change your tune when you hear I am now in a very influential business well, What are you doing, Yuki? I'm a newspaper man That's great, where's your corner? Oh, <laughs> oh. Don't kid me, I'm... A... I'm a reporter Yes? I was born with the roar of presses in my ears Was your father a reporter? Pants presser <laughs> how, do you, how do you figure to be a reporter? Well, it may interest you to know that I only need two more items for tomorrow's paper And I've already got one Hit me with it Well, here it is You'll notice I don't come right out with names you Can't do that No <clears throat> Innuendo Yes <clears throat> What certain crooner with four boys is going crazy worrying about what certain swooner? Let me see <laughs> Meaning, uh... Naturally. Naturally. 
You know, Yuki, I think I can give you that other item. Yeah, what? What certain reporter new to the field may bite the hand that's feeding him and come up empty when the options are blooming. <laughs> Meaning? Natch. 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 <laughs> you want gossip stuff, Yuki? Why don't you interview the movie stars? Oh, I did that yesterday. I had an interview with Ann Sheridan. I wanted the feminine angles. How'd you make out? She didn't have an angle, just curves. <laughs> Interview was a loss, huh? Yeah, I wasted my time. Say, uh, Miss Maxwell, could I see you tonight and get some studio news? Well, I don't know any studio no- news, uh, Yuki. Well, could I see you tonight and get the story of your life? I've already given the story of my life to the press. Well, let's put it another way. Could I see you tonight? <laughs> Yuki, I don't think you're going to get anything for your paper around here. Well, somebody better help me, because if I don't get some news around here, I'll get fired. I got news for you. Yeah? You're fired. Go on. <laughs> Just step over to the rehabilitation department, son, and lend an ear to La Max and friend working out on the cry of the hour. Take it easy. Take it easy, take it easy Don't you know it's more romantic when a dance is slow Take it easy, take it easy What's the good of feeling high when all the lights are low Take it easy, take it easy We got lots of time ahead of us, the night is young Take it easy, take it easy Don't you know this music should be swayed instead of swung Take your time, take your time, dance it with ease Take your time, take your time, slow if you please Take it easy, take it easy Don't Don't you know know you're not supposed to make a Roomba jump Take it easy, take it easy If you don't, I fear that our romance will hit a bump Take it easy, take it easy Don't you know it's time for romance when the music's sweet Take it easy, take it easy Take it easy, take it easy easy. When I'm in a mood this dreamy must you Lindy hop Don't forget that I'm your partner not a traffic cop Is there any fun in running in a one-man race? If you do you're gonna meet the maple face to face Take it easy Take it easy My dearest love, my love, say the 
portion of the Craft Music Hall from April 13, 1944, starring Bing Crosby along with Bob Hope. A lot of fun. And we'll have more after these words. The proud and honorable men and women of our military are still overseas sacrificing their lives and their families' emotions for another country's freedom. Please pray for the courageous troops of our military. This salute courtesy of Designer Decks by MJ in Morris, where they are working hard for the future of our great community. For information, call 815-941-4910. That's 815-941-4910. Designer Decks by MJ is thanking our military for their dedication and their service. I want to remind everyone listening all about Vistro, which is like my favorite new way to eat quality food. Quality, healthy, organic, and delicious. This is such a great time to not have to shop at the grocery store. Let Vistro prepare your food and deliver it right to your doorstep. Now, Vistro was started by a brother and sister, Mark and Monica, and they grew up in Costa Rica where fresh home-cooked meals were a way of life, and they were healthy, prepared with organic fruits and vegetables, and they want to bring a little piece of their background here into modern life right here. So that's how Vistro actually began. It's delicious, organic, it's healthy, it's sustainable, and it's all from plants, plant-based foods. Fully prepared anytime you want it, delivered frozen right to your door. Yep, I eat it every day, practically. <laughs> if Carl eats it, then it I must it. be good. Tastes great. Vistro.com. That's V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. When you go to their website, you have the opportunity to get 15% off your first order. Give it a shot. Vistro.com. All right. Right after the news, it's more with Craft Music Hall. Then we'll tune into The Mysterious Traveler. Stick around. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa and I are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. On this hour, we'll have the conclusion to the Craft Music Hall, starring Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. We'll also tune in to the Mysterious Traveler. Stick around. Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. Last hour, we began listening to the Craft Music Hall from April 13th, 1944, being Crosby with his special guest, Bob Hope. Time marches back, 1924. Flappers are wearing pirate hats, polo coats, long scarves, and open galoshes. Finale hoppers feature high-waisted coats, high lapels, and bell-bottom pants. 
1924, and ambitious young men are saying... Want to go to the movies tonight? Oh, I'd love to, Harry. Milton Sills and the Seahawk is at the Costello. Let's go to Bijou. Well, what's there? I don't know. Well, then why do you want to go there? It's darker. <laughs> all right, Harry. Come on, come on, get your hat. Let's hurry. What's all the hurry? Oh, we can still get there before the prices change. Come on. Honestly, Harry, sometimes I just don't understand you. Oh, I get it. You're still sore because last time you had to sit in the last row in the balcony. Well, it was kind of warm up there. Well, believe me, it was just as warm downstairs where I was sitting. <laughs> Harry, hmm? did you ever hear this song? What song? Somebody loves me. Mm-hmm. I wonder who. Yeah, but I like. Uh, I wonder what's become of Sally, that old girl of mine. You probably left her in the last roll on the balcony at the Bijou. Ah. <laughs> The regular, regular Tuesday night crowd chaser to the Fibber McGee and Molly program. And long a shining shell for your shining China, my colleague on many a lacerated links and many a happy highway, the inevitable Robert Leslie Town Hope has again turned to literature. Yes, sir, it's being bruited about. <laughs> At literature tease that the schnook with the upswept hook has written a book. <clears throat> Show you, you how the long hair is... Hope is really gone. He's even wearing long hair. Look who's knocking hair. Not too loud. <laughs> but let me straighten you out, Dad. Yes. This long hair has nothing to do with the book. Samuel Goldwyn has cast me in a pirate picture. Typecasting, may I say? <laughs> Boy, how you carry a grudge. You really heat up and smolder when you drop a few Morgenthau mash notes at golf, don't you, huh? Any the other day? Yeah. You just had beginner's luck. Beginner's luck? Yes. You just began once too often, brother. <laughs> you simply tried to trap a superior apple tapper. Uh, what yeah. I'm playing with today, too. You had the wind at your back. We were both playing in the same direction. The wind was at your back, too. Oh, no, yeah, but look at the sail you've got. <laughs> Do you want to compare physiques, flesh, and fantasy? <laughs> oh, hearken to old flab and drab here. <laughs> Next to you, I shape up like John Hall, or shall we say one of those South Sea Islanders. Yeah, and you could cook a missionary in that pot you carry. <laughs> I dare say you crammed many an Easter egg into that basket of yours, this shaggy thing. How'd you do on Easter, old man? On Easter? Yes. You should have caught me Easter Sunday in my new outfit. You look like somebody caught you in that one. <laughs> I consider this a very happy garment. It should be finding a home at that age. <laughs> he gave me a good line. <laughs> Tell me, Curly. How'd you let that good one get away from you? I don't know. Let's look these scripts over a little more meticulously. Tell me, Curly, is this banner a sample of your forthcoming tome? Listen, Surly, I'll let my book speak for itself. And it'll do better that way, too. When do I get to read a review of it, huh? You want to read a review the moment they start running book reviews in the racing form. (laughs) But I don't mind briefing you lightly on it. It's sort of a history of my travels, my doing, and the clothes I wore. Sounds like a combination of my day and the grapes of wrath. Are the Yokies still selling their old stuff to you? That's huh? a trade secret. We can't talk. However, it may please you to hear that this pamphlet about your travels has emboldened me to write of my life at home. Well, I thought the story of your life at home had already come out in four editions. 
Another one I got. But seriously, Bing, <laughs> it's really a big thrill to produce a volume, volume that you know is really your own words, your own language. Who's translating it? <laughs> That's the publisher's problem. And who's the publisher? The best in New York. Who's that? Well, I thought you knew all the best bookmakers. <laughs> uh, my, my book is being handled by Simon and Shh. Who is Shh? Silent partner. <laughs> After they publish the book, they'll both be silent. <laughs> I got a gander at this ungainly essay you're so proud of the other day in your dressing alcove. You were there. I was looking through your golf bag for some of my golf balls. And <laughs> I stumbled upon your manuscript. You did, huh? How'd you like it? It is the one called I Never Left Home. Yes, it? I Never Left Home. What's That's the name of it. What do you think? Leave home. Ah, well, <laughs> uh, gentlemen, please. I hate to break up this little literary tete a This kid's wearing an egg for a tie. Look at that. <laughs> Come but uh, when are you two guys going to hit the road again? Well, hasn't Bing told you about the road to Utopia? Well, you see, Bob, around here, Bing doesn't mention the pictures he does with you. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> so they're calling it the road to Utopia. Yeah, for a while, Paramount was calling it the road to bankruptcy. <laughs> road to bankruptcy? Why? Well, Crosby, uncooperative, jealous... It... Took weeks to get the simplest little scenes done. No kidding, when I had a love scene with Dorothy Lamour, Crosby stayed home. Sick. Yes, and when I had a love scene with Lamour, Hope stayed home. Sick. Yeah, but uh, what happened when you both had a love scene with Lamour? Lamour was sick. Well, how'd they happen to finally decide to call it the road to Utopia? Well, descriptive title, Ken, as I understand it, Utopia is the last word, the ultimate. Utopia is that which leaves nothing more to be desired. Is there really such a thing, Bob? Utopia. <laughs> well, what a pleasant surprise. I didn't know there was anybody in this program from my generation. How are you? <laughs> do you do any USO work for civilians? How are you? <laughs> well, a Maxwell with the lines of a Buick. Look at this. Utopia. I bet if there were such a place as Utopia, you'd go there, wouldn't you, Bob? You've been in some pretty remote spots. Yeah, but they promised me a dressing room next week. <laughs> but no kidding, Marilyn. I love to travel, and no matter where I go, I'm sure to see at least one familiar face. Gee, it must be exciting wondering who it'll be. No, it's always Eleanor. <laughs> Did you learn any Spanish, Bob? Uh, si, si. Mucho, mucho. Uh... <laughs> Me voy a la película y el rote Zanzibar con Dottie Lemore, Bob Hope y Bing Crowby. Es muy, muy linda película, ¿no? Don't you hate a show-off? Uh? I suppose you, you investigated the, uh, the principal industries of the band. What a take. Rags Raglan will hate you for that take. I suppose I you... I was going to speak into your snicker there oh. all the time. It's too jolly a line. I was nursing that kid. Could have put two short reels under that take of yours. I suppose you investigate the principal industries of the various Caribbean islands, huh? Yes, but they all tasted about the same. So much difference in the liquor there and here? A big difference. Down there, you can buy it. <laughs> but no kidding, Bing. Down in Cuba, business is in a vicious circle. Maybe it just seemed that way to you. Well, figure it out. They raise cane to make rum and drink rum to raise cane. <laughs> This may take the place of Mersey, don't you know? Bob, did you like the Latin American food? Yeah, I kind of went for those enchiladas, Max. Well, just what are enchiladas? K-ration with a hot foot. 
Did you like anything but the enchiladas? Uh, yeah, well, there was another wonderful Spanish dish. Tell me about it. Nothing to tell. Her parents were too strict. <laughs> You're going to talk, aren't you? Pull up a chair. Tell me about those Latin American cuties. Oh, they're wonderful, Bing. Those senoritas sit on balconies, and if they like you, they toss down a rose. How did you do? Two dandelions and a bunch of devil grass. <laughs> My memories, there was a cute little number down in the canal zone. Yeah? Yeah, what a zone number. <laughs> I'd like to go down to the canal zone. You would. Too late. They've made the picture. What picture? Panama Fatty. <laughs> I hope, it, hope, hope nobody beats you to the Crisco Kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're looking at me from the wrong angle. <laughs> you know, Bing, looking at you reminds me of the witch doctors down in Haiti. You ought to get a load of those Technicolor vets. Yeah? Boy, they put a hex on you. Their voodoo drives a man crazy. Tell me more. I've got somebody in mind. Uh, <laughs> well, it's pretty grim, Lard. They sort of hypnotize their victims. <laughs> they sort of hypnotize their victims till they get a horrible vision, a fantastic illusion, a simply terrible apparition. Do you believe that stuff? That's it. <laughs> Please, don't make fun of me, Mr. Hope. I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to be able to talk to a man who's flown through battle zones in a bomber. Thanks, Yuki, and it's nice to meet a direct hit. <laughs> uh, say, what's it like to be up there with the spotlight shining on you and the flak flying all around you? Vaudeville with loaded tomatoes. <laughs> Oh, you're just modest. Modest. I've heard of everything. Now, did you dig Trinidad and that Calypso singing? Did I dig Calypso? Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. Say, you know how those Calypso singers take names that fit their personalities like Leo the Tiger yeah. and Willie the Lion? Yes. Yeah. Well, shake hands with Lester the Skunk. <laughs> you gonna knock us a little Calypso tonight? I might. Yeah. Imagine being without a horse that doesn't run slow. Or Robert Hope without a place left to go. Imagine Hope Without a place left to go Or Crosby wearing bobby socks and a bow If I say you're getting too plump That ain't love, love, yeah. love When I say your golf's in a slump Watch it, son It ain't love, love, love When I call your schnoz a bazoo that's the biggest understatement of the semester. <laughs> if I tell you I don't like you, boo, 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 it's a frank reply. Oh, send me Frankie. That's love, love, so sweet that I repeat means I adore you Amor Amor my love would you deny this heart that I have placed before you Find another word with meaning so clear 
My lips try to whisper sweeter things in your ear But somehow or other nothing sounds quite so dear As this soft caressing word I know Nights are lonely Amor, amor, my love Make life divine Say you'll be mine And love me only more and another nod to our neighbors in the south we remind you that tomorrow is pan american day next thursday the old craft music hall is going to feature a guy whose name is brand new to radio dave shelley that's next thursday and delen hasta la vista Alan maxwell appears to the courtesy of metro golden mayor producers of the technicolor musical broadway rhythm And that's the Kraft Music Hall from April 13th, 1944, starring Bing Crosby, with his special guest, Bob Hope, that was sponsored by Kraft, and uh, is heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Are you ready now for the Mysterious Traveler, Lisa? Good mystery program. Right. This is a perfect time for a good mystery, Carl. Yes, indeed. (laughs) It's time now for a broadcast titled The Queen of the Cats from July 2nd, 1944. Maurice Tarplin stars now as The Mysterious Traveler. The Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy this little trip that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves. But where are we going? We're going to delve into the life of a frightened man in a tale titled The Queen of the Cats. Some years ago, when I was practicing medicine, I was called upon by a young girl of 22 or so. As she was shown into my office, I could see that she was having a, a difficult time suppressing her agitation. Her lips trembled as she spoke. Dr. Smith, my name is Jane Elliott. I have an appointment with you. Yes, Miss Elliott. Uh, won't you be seated, please? Thank you. 
Oh, it seems to be the trouble, Miss Elliot. You're trembling. You don't look well at all. I'm not ill, Doctor. It's Chris. Chris Arnold, my fiancé. Oh, Doctor, you've got to help him. If you don't, something terrible will happen. Well, I'll do everything I can, Miss Elliot. Now, tell me what's wrong. I... Well, I don't know what's wrong. All I know is that Chris is frightened. He's in deadly fear of something. Has he told you... Uh... What it is that frightens him? No. No, I've questioned him countless times, but he refuses to tell me. I see. Where is your fiancé now? At his home, Brookfield Manor. Oh, doctor, I, I, I know it's late, but won't you come with me and see Chris? He needs help desperately. There, there, Miss Elliot. You mustn't cry. Of course I'll come with you. And I'll do what I can. Just a minute. Jane, I've, I've asked you before not to... Who, who's he? Darling, this is Dr. Smith. Doctor, this is my fiancé, Chris Arnold. How do you do, Mr. Arnold? Why the devil did you bring him? I don't need a doctor. Please, darling, I, I just couldn't stand Forgive to me, see Mr. you. Mr. Arnold, but it's obvious to the most untrained eye you do need a doctor. Please, Chris... Tell the doctor what you're afraid of. I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, darling, please tell him. Please. You can't go on this way. Yes. Yes, you're right. I can't go on this way. If I don't tell someone, I'll go mad. Believe me, Mr. Arnold, you'll feel much better once you've talked your fears out. Now, um, suppose you start from the beginning and tell me everything. All right, doctor. Come on in. I, I suppose it all began... Two years ago, at a party Jane and I were invited to. Oh, Chris, isn't this a wonderful party? The only thing wonderful about it is you. <laughs> oh, Chris, don't. People are watching. Oh, a fine thing when a man can't kiss his best girl in public. What's this generation coming to, anyway? At Miss Tyndall's school, we were taught a young lady never kisses a man in public. Miss <laughs> Tyndall is setting romance back 50 years. Who are you looking for, anyway? Rana Farouk, my roommate at Miss Tyndall's. Oh, oh yes, she's, she's the Egyptian girl you were telling me about. Yes, I want you to meet her. Only you better not fall in love with her as every other man does. Mm. Sounds as though she's a second Cleopatra. Men just can't seem to be able to resist her. Hmm. Well, I'm curious to see this siren of the Nile. Oh, there she is, Chris. Come on. So that's Rana. No wonder men can't resist her. Hello, Jane. I've missed you. Rana, this is Chris Arnold. Chris, this is Rana Farouk. Hello, Chris. Hello, Rana. Oh, look, there's Miss Tyndall waving to me. Excuse me, won't you? Of course, Jane. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> you know, Chris, at Miss Tyndall's, the first thing I'd see in the morning when I got up, and the last thing before I went to bed was your picture. And I always knew that someday we should meet. And now we have. Why are you staring at me like that? Aren't you going to say anything? I prefer just to look. Even now, Doctor, 
two years after our first meeting, I find it difficult to describe how beautiful Rana was. She had lustrous black hair that came down to her shoulders and sparkling green eyes that bewitched you. No words can do her beauty justice. I was captivated the moment I saw her. I see. What happened after that first meeting? Rana seemed also attracted to me. After that night, we saw each other constantly. You did? Nothing seemed to matter to me when I was with her. And it made me indescribably happy to learn she felt the same way. A month after we'd met, we were married. Mm. Please go on, Mr. Arnold. After we were married, we took an apartment in town. In the months that followed, I began to see Rana not as the image I'd been infatuated with, but as she really was, vain, selfish, and possessive. It was a possessiveness verging on madness. She couldn't bear to have me out of her sight. And when I was, upon my return, there would be questions, countless questions. I began to dread seeing her. And then, then there were the cats. The cats? Yes. She had an insane passion for them. Yes, when Rana and I were at school together, Doctor, she always had a few cats around. She said that she couldn't live without them. The apartment was always full of cats. She'd sit for hours stroking them, whispering to them until I felt I'd go mad. Life became a nightmare for me, a nightmare full of cats. And Rana asking questions, endless questions. One day, I realized I couldn't go on living with her any longer. That our marriage had been a mistake. I decided to tell her about it that very evening. May I come in, Rana? Of course, dear. Rana, there's, there's something important I want to talk to you about. Oh, please, Chris. There's so little time just now. We can talk later after the party. But Rana, this is important. I think that... Darling, whatever you have to say can wait. Now, please hurry. But, but... Well, well, all right. We'll discuss what I have to say later. Chris. When I called you at the office this afternoon, why didn't you tell me that you had had lunch with Mary Walker? What? How did you know I had lunch with her? Oh, a friend told me. A friend? Who was it? What is it, my beauty? What are you trying to say? Rana, put that cat down and answer me. Who was the friend that told you I had lunch with Mary Walker? You have never met her, darling. How is it that you always know what I've been doing, whom I've been seeing... It's as though you have people spying on me. Chris, what a thing to say. Now, please hurry or we'll be late. There's something strange about the way you always know what I've been doing. Sometimes I suspect... Chris, look out. You've stepped on Sabina's tail. I'm sorry, but I didn't see it. I've asked you before to be more careful. Poor Sabina. Are you all right now, my beauty? If there weren't so many cats underfoot, I wouldn't have stepped on her. Why must you have five cats around? Because I love cats. They're beautiful, sacred. Thousands of years ago, my ancestors worshipped cats. And the great cat goddess Sekonit. On the river Nile, close by the ancient city of Hamadi, where I was born, are the graves of a hundred thousand sacred cats. They have been mummified and buried with reverence. Uh, Rana... I can't go on like this anymore. My darling, what do you mean? I feel our marriage was a mistake. I want a divorce. Chris, you can't be serious. But I am. I love you, Chris, and I won't give you up. You're mine, darling. You always will be. Nothing shall ever separate us. Would you 
care for a cocktail, sir? Uh, no, no, thank you. Well, even if you won't have one, Mr. Arnold, I will. Jane, Jane, <laughs> it's good to see you again. Just let me look at you. Chris, you're... You're not looking well at all. Are you all right? I am now. Jane, Jane, can't we go someplace and talk? What about the terrace? All right, Chris. Here, this door opens onto it. This is much better. It's been quite some time since we've seen each other, hasn't it? Yes, the last time we saw each other was the night that... The night that I met Rana. Yes. How is Rana, Chris? Oh, she's... She's fine. We... Jane, I've made such a mess out of everything. I was a fool to have married her. Please, Chris. You mustn't talk like that. But I was a fool, Jane. Mistaking infatuation for love. Can you ever forgive me for the way I behaved toward you? There's... There's nothing to forgive, Chris. Well, Jane. This is a surprise. Rana. Hello, Rana. Really, Jane, the way you've avoided calling on us, I half suspect you are still in love with Chris. Rana, you had no right to talk to her like that. Uh, please, Chris, I... I'm afraid I'll have to be leaving. It's getting quite late. Good night. Good night, Jane. I hope I didn't interrupt anything by coming out here so unexpectedly, Chris. Yes, Ronnie, you did. I was about to tell Jane that I love her. And that I always will. I suppose that's why you asked me for a divorce. You've been secretly seeing her. Secretly seeing her? Is it possible for me to see anyone or do anything secretly without your knowing about it? No, you are quite right. It is not possible. I know everything you do. So I would forget Jane if I were you. Uh, Rana, how can you possibly want me? Knowing how I feel about Jane. You've got to give me a divorce. I'll never give you a divorce. Never. Do you hear? You're mine. You always will be. Yes? Well, what's to prevent me from leaving you? Wherever you go, Chris, I'll follow. If I can't have you, no one else ever will. Remember, Chris, you're mine. You always will be. I can still see her, Doctor. As she stood there screaming at me. Remember, Chris, you're mine and you always will be. It was a, a shock to suddenly realize that she looked like a cat, an angry cat. Her green eyes, cold and murderous... Her long nails digging into my arms. Her body tense. For a moment, I, I thought she was going to scratch my eyes out. Yes, Rana did look like that when she was in a rage. Hmm. What happened after that night, Mr. Arnold? I stopped speaking to Rana. We lived in the same apartment, but that was all. Weeks passed, and Rana waited for me to come around as she felt certain I would. Yes. She had all the patience of a cat playing with a mouse. But when a month had passed and I still refused to talk to her, she made an attempt to win me back. It happened one night as we were driving to this house. Why are you slowing down, Rana? I want to talk to you, Chris, and I can't talk to you while I'm driving. There's no point in your stopping. We have nothing to say to each other. Oh, but we do, darling. Chris, we could be so happy together if you wanted to. You know how much I love you. It's a possessive love that smothers me to death. Chris, you know that isn't true. I could make you happy if you don't let me. Oh, please don't turn away from me, Chris. I'll do anything to make you happy. Anything. Anything? And you can give me a divorce. So you're still thinking of her. 
Hoping I'll give you a divorce so you can marry her. Well, I won't. Do you hear? I won't. I think we'd better be moving along. Chris, you haven't any right to treat me like this. I'm your wife. Only in the eyes of the law, not in my eyes. I hate you. I hate you! You can't! You almost took out my eyes with those claws of yours. I will scratch your eyes out before I let any other woman have you. You're mine. You always will be. Perhaps this will bring you to your senses. <laughs> Slide over. I'll drive. Very well, Chris. <laughs> You think you've beaten me, Chris. But you haven't. In the end, you'll come crawling to me. It may take a year, two years, five years. But I can wait. I'll never come crawling to you. Never. But you will, Chris. Jane knows I'll never give you your freedom. In time, she'll marry. And when she does, all the heart will be gone out of you. Then you'll be mine. That'll never happen. But it will, Chris. And deep down in your heart, you know I'm right. Jane will never be yours. I'll see to that. You have everything planned perfectly, Rana, don't you? But I have one way of escape from you that you've never thought of. Really? And what way is that? I can escape through death. Death? Yes, Rana. If I should fail to take the curve a hundred yards ahead, we'd plunge off the side of this mountain. Chris, you would. Why not, Rana? You've shown me there's nothing to live for. This at least is a clean way out. No! Chris, don't! No! When I drove the car over the side of the mountain, Doctor, I thought Rana and I were going to our deaths. But fate decreed otherwise. When I recovered consciousness 48 hours later in a hospital, I learned it was only Rana who died. Yes, I recall reading about it in the papers. It was a miracle that you survived. Yes. For weeks, they despaired of saving me. But at the end of eight months, I walked out of that hospital. The police believed my story that it was an accident. And I was free to begin a new life. It was just a week after I was discharged from the hospital that I ran into Jane. Chris! Oh, Chris, it's you! Danny, you always seem to pop up just when I need you most. Chris, you... you look so much older. Are you all right? Well, my heart isn't any too good, but otherwise I'm fine. And seeing you again is just what I need to put me on my feet. These past months must have been so difficult for you. Uh, I don't want to look back to the past, Jane. But only to the future. The future I once hoped we'd share. And still do. Two months ago, Doctor, Jane and I became engaged. It was just about that time that I first began to notice that everywhere I went, there always seemed to be a cat following me. Are you sure you weren't imagining it, Mr. Arnold? At first, I thought it was my imagination. But a week after Jane and I became engaged, I was certain I was being followed. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Mr. Arnold, was it always the same cat that followed you? No, no, no. One day it'd be one cat, and another, another day a different one. Oh, I, I know you must think I'm mad, Doctor. And at the time, I felt I was going mad. That is, until that night. What night, Mr. Arnold? The night I saw her happened in this very room. 
Six weeks ago. I, I... I had great difficulty in falling asleep that night. Suddenly, the silence was broken by the faint crying of a cat. The crying grew louder and louder. I lay in the darkness listening, realizing that the cat crying was real, living, and in my room. I could feel my heart pounding as I sat up in bed and looked about my darkened room. And then suddenly I saw her, two burning green eyes in the darkness. There was no mistaking those eyes. They were runners. I stared into those eyes for what seemed like hours. Then, as though listening to a stranger's voice, I heard myself speak. Rana. It is you, Rana, isn't it? Yes. I'd recognize those green eyes anywhere. So you've come back and in the form I've always thought of you. As a cat. I know why you've come back. It's because of Jane. You always said that if you couldn't have me, no one else could. That I was yours. And always would be. Well, you're wrong, do you hear? Jane and I are going to be married. You came between us once, but you aren't going to this time. I will marry you. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. You fiend. Trying to scratch my eyes out. Well, we'll see about that. There. Perhaps that'll show you that nothing you can do will stop me from marrying her. I know that all those cats that were following me, spying on me, were doing so under your orders. You, you're the queen of the cats. Uh, yes, I should have known. No wonder you always knew where I'd been, who I'd seen. You had your cats spying on me even then. Well, even if you are the queen of the cats, you can't prevent me from marrying Jane. Perhaps a bullet between those green eyes of yours is what's needed. <laughs> the gun at her, doctor, and then turned on the lights. There was no sign of her. She'd vanished. All that I found were those six bullet holes in the wall. Tell me, Mr. Arnold, isn't it possible that you only dreamed all that? That actually you fired the gun in your sleep and the shots themselves wakened you? I tried to tell myself that, doctor. But during the nights that followed, I, I knew it was not a dream. For night after night, she appeared in my room... I'd lie awake, waiting to hear her footsteps, her voice. And when she would appear, I'd plead with her to leave me alone. But she'd only stare at me with those burning green eyes, waiting, waiting. I knew she'd never leave me alone as long as I intended to marry Jane. Finally, I could stand it no longer, and I went to see Jane. Chris, this is a surprise. Come in, darling. Thank you, Jane. Oh, well, where have you been keeping yourself this past week? I was beginning to believe I was being jilted. Jane, there's something I want to ask you. Yes, Chris, of course. What is it? I know we set our wedding for next week. But couldn't we put it off for a while? Just a little while. Darling, what is it? There's something wrong. I, I know there is. Please tell me. I wish I could, but I can't. Now, please, Jane, just have faith in me. You know, I, I wouldn't postpone our marriage if I could possibly help it. All right, Chris, I... I do have faith in you. We'll consider our marriage postponed for the time being. The night I put off my marriage to Jane, Doctor, was the first night that Rana didn't appear. 
and the first night in a week that I'd been able to sleep. In effect, Mr. Arnold, that she didn't appear again because you would postpone your marriage to Jane. I know it. Weeks went by, weeks in which I was able to sleep soundly without being awakened by her. And I came to think that perhaps it had all been part of a horrible nightmare and that I was over it at last. A week ago, I asked Jane to set the date for our wedding. She did so. And that same day, we took out a marriage license. But that night, she appeared again. Her eyes shining in the dark, cold and murderous. She knew about the license. That's why she returned. And you've seen her again? Yes, yes, every night. She just keeps staring at me with those green eyes, waiting, waiting. She's determined not to give me any rest. I tell myself that I, I mustn't be afraid, but I, I keep hearing her voice over and over. If I can't have you, no one else will. You're mine and you always will be. Oh, Chris, darling, I wish I'd known all this before. You feel, Mr. Arnold, that somehow she'll prevent you from marrying Jane, huh? I, I know I sound mad, but I do. I have a feeling something horrible will happen if I attempt to marry her. Do you still have the marriage license? Yes. Why do you ask? Mr. Arnold, you've reached a crisis in your life. You're faced with fears that are threatening to overwhelm your sanity. The only way for you to challenge your fears is to go through with your marriage to Jane now. Tonight. Tonight? Yes. It's quite late, but I'm sure a friend of mine who's a judge will marry you. Uh, you get married tonight? If you hesitate, you're lost. Your only chance is to face your fears. All right, Doctor. All right. Jane, will you marry me tonight? Oh, yes, Chris. Yes. Sorry to get you up in the middle of the night, Judge, but for reasons I can't explain, it's important that these two be married tonight. That's quite all right, Doc. Always glad to oblige a friend. Have you got the license and the ring, young man? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Here's the license and the ring. Now, young man, if you'll take her right hand. That's it. Now, shall I give you the long ceremony or the short one? The short one, please. Just as you say, young lady. This is the shortest one I've got. Do you, Jane Elliot, take this man to be your lawful wedded husband, to love, honor, and obey as long as ye both shall live? I do. Do you, Christopher Arnold, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, to love, honor, and cherish as long as ye both shall live? <laughs> it's she. It's Rana. Chris, please, it's only a black cat. You mustn't pay any attention to it. Of course not. No, it's, it's Rana, I tell you. Look at her eyes. I told you she was trying to prevent my marrying Jane. Well, I'll get rid of her once and for all. Chris, what are you doing with that gun? Put it down. Ah, she got away. Well, whatever she's gone, I'll find her and kill her. Chris, Chris, come back. Oh, Doctor, where can he be? Now, Jane, he can't be far off. We'll find him. Listen. Doctor, that must be Chris firing that gun. Come on. Those shots came from close by. Hurry! Hurry! We, we better take it easy now, Doc. It's pretty dark out here. Wait a moment now. Light my cigarette lighter. Doc! Look, a dead cat! 
Yes. It was shot through the head. Sir, look. Here's another one that's been shot to death. Neither one of them is the, the black cat. Say, Doc. Isn't that a body over there? Chris. No, Jane, you stay with the judge while I look. All right, Doctor. There, there, miss. You, you mustn't cry. This never would have happened if, if I hadn't agreed to bury him. He was afraid. So afraid. Doc. Is it Arnold? Yes. Yes, it's he. He's dead, isn't he? I can see it in your face. Yes, Jen. He's dead. But, Doc, what happened to him? He's been clawed to bits, as if by hundreds of cats. <gasps> and most horrible of all, his eyes have been scratched out. This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip into the life, or should I say, death of a frightened man? Strangely enough, two days later, at Chris Arnold's funeral, just as the coffin was being lowered into the grave, the mourners suddenly noticed a black cat with green eyes sitting on the edge of the grave, quietly licking its paws. Uh, by the way, I, I trust you haven't a cat in your home, uh, particularly a black one. I, I, uh, I once knew a woman, uh, she's dead now, who had a... Uh, you're getting off at the next stop, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> Perhaps you'll join me again soon. I take this same train every week at the same time. You have just heard Chapter 31 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, Queen of the Cats, Stotts Cotsworth played Chris, Sarah Burton played Rana, and Sandra Gould played Jane. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. And original music was played by Doc Whipple. The entire production was under the direction of Jock McGregor. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual from the WOR Studios in New York. It is presented over most of these stations every Sunday afternoon at half past three. This is Mutual. And that's The Mysterious Traveler from July 2nd, 1944, with The Queen of the Cats, starring Maurice Tarplin as The Mysterious Traveler. Also in that cast, Sarah Burton, Stotts Cotsworth, and Sandra Gould, as heard on Mutual. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. 
The proud and honorable men and women of our military are still overseas sacrificing their lives and their families' emotions for another country's freedom. Please pray for the courageous troops of our military. This salute is courtesy of designer Dex by MJ in Morris, where they are working hard for the future of our great community. For information, call 815-941-4910. That's 815-941-4910. Designer Dex by MJ. They are thanking our military for their dedication and their service. In our next hour, it's Bold Venture, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, plus the first portion of Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. That's all coming your way after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater on this hour. It's Bold Venture, plus part one of Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. I want to remind everyone listening that there are five free classic radio shows waiting for you at our website, 100radioshows.com. Lisa, what are the five shows? Five of the best. We've got Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Suspense, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Those are free. And just for being a listener, if you'd like to purchase any other classic radio while you're there, check it out. We have many more shows for sale. And don't forget about the promo code radio. You will save 70% off your order. That's right. Use the promo code radio at checkout. And you'll save a whole bunch of money, plus collect tons and tons of classic radio shows. All right. When we come back, we'll have Bold Venture. Stick around. Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater. My co-host Lisa Wolf is here. And Mike Costella, our executive producer, is here as well. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, playing eight, count them, eight classic radio shows. It's our new format. More shows? More fun. That's right. All right. It's time now for Bold Venture. This was an adventure series that starred husband and wife, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Now, salty sea dog Slate Shannon was Humphrey Bogart. He owned a Cuban hotel where treasure hunters, revolutionaries, and other shady characters rented rooms. His sidekick was his ward, the sultry Sailor Duval, played by Bacall. And she tagged along as they encountered modern-day pirates and other tough situations while navigating the waters around Havana. Aboard his boat, the Bold Venture, Slate and Sailor experienced adventure, intrigue, mystery, and romance. It was syndicated in 1951 and 1952 by the Ziv Company and produced by Bogart's Santana Productions. This was a high-quality series, a lot of fun. Had two big names, two big movie stars, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Of a broadcast for you now called A Bullet for Shannon. This is from April 16th, 1951. Here now is Bold Venture. Bold Venture. Adventure, intrigue, mystery, romance, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Together in the sultry setting of tropical Havana and the mysterious islands of the Caribbean, Bold Venture. (laughs) 
Once again, the magic names of Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall bring you Bold Venture and a Tale of Mystery and Intrigue. You, um, you uh, won't regret this, Mr. Shannon. Uh, you'll see you won't. Mr. Shannon hardly ever regrets anything, do you, Slate? That's because I lead such a clean life. See what a lucky man you are, Mr. Bullock. Where else could you have found a 100% fellow like Slate here to take you all the way to Key West in his own boat? I know. Oh, how well I know. Oh, uh, that reminds me. The passage money. Uh, you can pay me when I land you at Key West. Uh, when you do that... You'll get a bonus. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, plump bonus. Plump, huh? That'll be nice. You're a nice man, Mr. Bullock. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, here, I got the money right here. I'll peel off any part of it. <laughs> Just say when. What a big piggy bank you must have robbed, Mr. Bullock. Huh? Oh, I am... Oh, oh, you made a funny. Did you do that, sailor? <laughs> yes, she did. I've got $50,000 right here in my hand. Oh, piggy bag. And i just say when, Mr. Shannon. <laughs> well, if it makes you that happy, when? What did I tell you, Mr. Bullock? You finally found an honest man. You're wonderful, Slate. Means a lot to you to get to Key West, doesn't it, Mr. Bullock? Oh, it does. Yes, it does. A man like me, I, I'm just not cut out for this excitement in Havana. I'm strictly a homebody. Carpet slippers, a pipe, the evening paper, but all of it in English. Something a man can hold on to. Yes, uh, how much farther to your boat, Mr. Shannon? A couple of minutes. If you're that anxious, you could have taken a plane. One of the crack liners. I told you, I don't like all those people around me. I paid you enough, didn't I? I'm not paying you to ask silly personal questions. You're being paid to... Now, easy, Mr. Bullock. Slate doesn't like it when you go. Hey, watch it, sailor. Hey, watch with you guys. You know better than to drive in a van with your headlights off. You could have... Keep the mouth polite, friend. All we want is to ask a friendly direction. Hey, Mr. Shannon, look out. They're the men who... The, the, the men who... Well, what do you know? It can still talk. <laughs> All right, move it, my chick. Johnny will be proud, won't he, my chick? Yeah, he'll be proud. Hey, you should have seen it, Johnny. You Relax. Seen it. But, Johnny, I said shut up. Turn off the record, my chick. Yeah. A man doesn't need anything but music like that. Uh, sure, Johnny. Sure, Johnny. Tell me how Bullock died. Four slugs in the chest. Can you imagine that, Johnny? A little guy like that and it takes him four slugs. Who was driving? Him. Machek, him. I was driving, Johnny. I don't know about you, Machek. I really don't. I said Dolly drives. You were going to handle the gun, remember? Oh, what difference does it make? Sure, Johnny, what difference? I didn't mind. He took four slugs. You should have seen him. Marchick. Uh-huh. Next time you do like I say, next time you'll do it my way, won't you, Marchick? Ah, uh, sure I will. Sure you will. You understand? It's the little things that annoy me. Take Bullock. He annoyed me. A bookkeeper who walks out with $50,000 shakes my faith. The money is incidental, Marchick. 
It's the annoyance of it. Gives me butterflies. That's Johnny. Johnny, when do soon, we go? Soon, real soon. And when we get back to the States, it'll be like old times, won't it? Running things from Havana's okay, Johnny, but I like the States. Like old times. When are we getting out of here? Sometime I'll whisper it in your ear gently, Marchick. Sure. There's no chance of a slip-up on Bullock, is there? Uh-uh. We were driving without lights. Nobody followed. Yeah, that's right. It happened too fast even for the guy and the dame to What have... guy and dame? The ones that Bullock was talking what to. What guy and dame? Bullock came out of the hotel with the guy and the dame. What hotel? Called Shannon's place. Uh... Get them. Bring them here. Sure, Johnny. Now turn on the music, Marchek. Uh-huh. Said you were on the patio. Did he tell you to keep walking? I said you know where Slate Shannon is. Shannon is doing clever things to his boat. You'll find him down at the dock. Hey, your name's Duval, huh? Who are you? You got in trouble a little while ago, didn't you? You walked with a man and he dropped dead from bullets. Look, don't make me repeat myself. Police, that's all. For a Cuban policeman, you've got quite an American lilt to your voice. Uh, yeah, I got all the American movies. Come on, sis. What are you talking about? Talking about, come on, with me, the police. I'm arresting you for suspicion. Suspicion of what? Show me a badge. Come on, sis. I get experience dragging people, too. Take your hands off me. You... Why, Why you're the man in the car. You... Yeah. You... Yeah, you gonna stop fighting, or do I break the soft arm? Sailor! Slate! Slate, hurry! You did wrong, sis! Wrong! What's that? Slate, he's got a gun. Okay, drop it. <laughs> Tell her get the gun. You're gonna be real sorry, mister. He's getting away. Yeah. You all right, sailor? He slugged you good, huh? Are you all right? Let's go inside. He was the man who shot Mr. Bullock. Yeah, I noticed. Like you said, he slugged me good. I'll get you something. Hey, wait a minute. We've got company sitting over there. Yeah, I wonder what he wants. Good evening, Senor LaSalle. Buenas noches, Senor. Senorita. Are you sad also, like me? Sad? See, si. this evening you were seen with a man who is lately murdered. That's why I am sad. You are under arrest, both of you. <laughs> Make yourselves comfortable, senorita. Senor, we have a saying in Havana, my jail is your jail. Hasn't changed a bit, has it, Slate? Still cozy. Yeah, our home away from home. Same leg broken on same chair. Same cigar burns on same desk. Same picture of LaSalle Jr. No, it's not the same. Hmm? Junior's a big boy now. How Junior has shot up. Thank you. Don't mention it. How is Junior? Remarkable. He is now in attendance at Yale. <clears throat> bula bula for him. Oh, you are too kind. 
Well, how long do we crook our pinkies at each other, LaSalle? I gave you the hoodlum's gun. All you have to do is trace it. That gets your Bullock's murderer. That gets us out of this coffee clutch. You and us. This we shall do, senor, the tracing of the gun. However, there's also a matter of questions. I've already chosen my category. How about you, Slate? And what's the question? We told you he shot Bullock down in cold blood. We were taking a walk. Bullock didn't get to finish it, that's all. This murderer of which you speak, you know him? You can describe him? He was American. He carried an American gun. He's got a cold right cross. What else is there to know about a man in the dark? I could think of something. The license number of the car. You jotted it down? I knew we forgot something, sailor. Next time I'll bring my ballpoint. Yeah, do that. Uh, which brings us to the 64 peso question. Junior has written me of such. What business had Senor Bullock with you? He hired me. He hired my boat. Take him to Key West. He was a simple little man. Still, he had almost $50,000 on him. Perhaps you will tell me why. Sure. Simple little men put their pennies in Christmas savings. You'd be surprised how it adds up. It could have been a good fee to take him to Key West. $50,000. Perhaps this hoodlum you speak of. Perhaps he had fear you would not share with him, eh? Hey, look, I told you what happened. To... <laughs> We're in a snooze, Senor LaSalle. Everybody? <laughs> well, will you be glad I'm here, Shannon? You and the lady. Will you be glad? What is it you want, Senor Armand? A favor, Senor? Just release Shannon and Duval. Because I ask you. Because I've got a writ that says you have to. Give it to me. Uh -huh. It is in order. You are released. But uh, walk careful in Havana, eh, senor? Senorita? Just like you say. Give my regards to Junior, huh? Let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you... The chief and me, we're uh, just like that. I do favors for him, him for me. And you for who else? Your benefactor. Lovely man. He arranged it all. He's dying to meet you two. Let's not keep him waiting, huh? He sounds like a doll. Shall we go, Slate? Not you, just me and Buster here. Now, look. I said go home, sailor. You'll take me to my benefactor, huh, Buster? I don't want to share him with anybody. I brought Shannon. Oh, oh, you're the lawyer. Hey, Johnny. Yes, who is it? The lawyer with the guy. Tell the lawyer to go home. You heard him. Come on in, Shannon. Right in here. There he is, Johnny. Hello, Shannon. Are you staring at me because you recognize me? Hey, I've seen you. Your pictures. You're Johnny Rice. That's right. How many states do you want it in, Johnny? The original 13, seven more besides. You like music, Shannon? Sometimes. Try now. Listen. Pretty? Sure, it's pretty. You're going out to it, Shannon. Only because you know I'm in Havana. Whoever told you I knew that? Marchick. Uh-huh. Kill him. Johnny, I... I said... Yeah. Listen to me. Now throw him away, Marchek. 
Our stars, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and the second act of our story. A man, he come to Shannon's place, have plenty of money and anonymous face. This man so rich, want to live in states, but die in gutter, decree his face. The police, they come and arrest Mr. Slate, also Lady Sailor, his fair lady of late. Then lawyer, he come with writ breaches. Lady Sailor come home, but Mr. Slate disappears. Now Lady Sailor, she bit her lip, her eyes are sad. Does it show that much, King Moses? Maybe not to somebody else, but to King Moses, it shows like it was in neon lights. Funny. Slate never sees it. Mr. Slate sees, but he does not believe. You are someone he has not known the like of ever before. He do not think himself worthy of you. <laughs> That'll be the day. The day he underrates himself. Ah, I know him longer than you, Lady Sailor. Well, then maybe you can tell me where he's been all night. Because you know him so well. I cannot. In Havana, there are many places. One goes because one has a desire in his heart or... Or what, King? Or there is a desire in someone else's heart to please or to do harm. Slate can take care of himself. Yes, but sometimes a man gets hurt taking care of himself. Sometimes... How could he have got hurt? We were in the police station. A lawyer named Harmon came in with a writ. Slate went. Uh, Get me my coat, King. You go someplace, Lady Sailor? Yeah, to see our lawyer. We got him for free yesterday. Maybe he'll tell me where he took Slate for free. Ah, you understand, Miss Duval. It's been so long since a person as lovely as you walked in here. Mostly until you... Dregs. Unfortunate people with burdens. Uh... Mr. Harmon, where did you take Slate Shannon? <laughs> really, now? Look, Mr. Harmon, I could go away and come back. Only then this office would be cluttered with half the police in Havana. Now, let me explain something to you, Miss Devon. I am a lawyer. I was hired to get you and Mr. Shannon out of jail. I succeeded quite well, don't you think? Where did you take Slate? Here I was only half successful. I was supposed to uh, deliver both of you. Where? You must realize I'm not going to say where or to whom or why. And may I make a suggestion? What? Should you bring the police here, I would lie. I would lie and say I dropped Slate Shannon in the middle of downtown Havana, in the street. I would lie and you would become a fool. Beautiful, but nonetheless a fool. Goodbye, Miss Duvall. Wake up. Uh, Come on, wake up, Shannon. You're over being hurt. Wake up. Hey, I know you. The man told you to kill me. I'm sorry. I had to make it look good. How's your shoulder? 
You had to do that, huh? Uh, You're wrong, Marchek. I'm not over being hurt. There was a doctor here. He took the bullet out. Fixed you up. That uh, sling. Here. Here's some pills. He said you'll live. Did he check with Johnny Rice? Is it okay with Johnny Rice if I live? Johnny thinks you're dead. He wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, then you double-crossed Johnny. Uh Uh-huh. That makes me owe you something. Like my life, minus a pound of shoulder. You don't owe me a thing. Don't kid me, Marchek. You don't do things like that to Johnny Rice. Not for nothing. You don't cross him, bring me here to this hole, get me a doctor, not for nothing. What's your fee? It'll surprise you. You want to bet? Tell me your fee, then I'll go home, because I've got a home. I work for the Treasury. I get it. You don't like to kill with guns. You're going to kill me with jokes. See? My credentials. Look at them. Go on, look at them. You win. Surprises me. It always does. Every time. Yeah, I know. I saw the movie. We've wanted Johnny Rice a long time. We don't want to lose him in red tape. You're going to help us get him. Am I? He's going to make a run for the States tonight. We'll arrest him there. I'll recommend your book. Thanks. You're, uh, you're Miss Duval. Can she handle a bold venture? Uh, leave her out of it or I don't play. All right. I'll go find somebody else. Hey, come back, Jack Armstrong. Sailor can handle a boat. Tell her to get it ready. Tell her to be on board about six o'clock. Sometime after dark, three men will meet her. Me, Dolly, and Johnny Rice. She'll take us to Key West. And you'll take Dolly and Rice all by yourself? You're a bigger hero than appears on the surface, Marchek. Don't pout, Shannon. You're going too. You'll hide below deck with a gun. I'll call out when I need you. Because I need you. See you later, Marchek. Yeah. Mr. Slate, Mr. Slate. Hey, where's Sailor King? What happened to you, Mr. Slate? I'll tell you later. Where is she? In a room, melting away for you, Mr. Slate. Sailor. Slate, Slate, where have you been? Why didn't you... Now, watch it. Your tears are getting my bandage wet. Hey, what's the matter with you, sailor? Your arm. Ah, it's my shoulder. Used to have a bullet in it. Slate. Cut it out, will you? Man spends a hard night getting shot. He likes to come home and see a girl with her hair combed and lipstick on. Looking nice. Look in the mirror. I'm sorry. Forget it. We're going to Key West. What are you talking about? You're hurt. We're going to Key West as soon as it gets dark. You'll be on the bold venture. Three men will meet you there. One named Johnny Rice and Marchek and Dolly. I'll be below deck. I'll have a gun. Ahoy! Bold venture! Ahoy! Come aboard. Well, good evening. I'm Johnny Rice. And you're Sailor Duval. You sit over there. No. You're out the wheel of this tub. I'm your right-hand man, right beside you. Let's get moving. We wait for two more men. (laughs) Marchik and Dolly? That's right. When Marchik paid me for this trip, he said you, him, and something named Dolly. How much did Marchik pay you for this trip? Three hundred (laughs) dollars. 
<laughs> he did well by it. I'll thank him again when he comes aboard. I'm afraid not. He's dead, like your friend Slate. Dead? That's right. I caught Marchick placing a phone call, transatlantic to the Treasury boys. Can you imagine Marchick doing that? That's why he's dead. What about Dolly? He's packing Marchick to bury him wherever he wants to bury him. I'll meet Dolly in the States. Then there's going to be only you. And you. Let's go to Key West, Mr. Val. Ah, beautiful night, isn't it? I haven't looked. Uh, do you mind if I get some coffee? Where do you get your coffee? Below, on the galley. And who runs the boat while you're doing that? You. Just hold the wheel. Steady as she goes. All right. I've never run a boat before, but go ahead. And bring me some, too. Hurry back. I'm beginning to miss you already. Slate. Hey, what are you doing here? Where's Marchek? He's dead. They found out who he is and they killed him. You mean you've been up there all alone with Rice and Dolly? No, only Johnny Rice came aboard. He's waiting for some coffee. I'll carry it to him on this gun. Be careful, Slate. You're on. I don't worry about it. Yeah, you were quick with the coffee, Mr. Val. No coffee, Johnny. We're all out. Huh? Well, what do you know? Marchek didn't kill you. I should have figured that. You enjoy handling a boat, Johnny? Yeah. I'm happy like this. Shoulder's bleeding, huh? Drop the gun. Drop it. Thanks, John. Now I'm going to have to spend the voyage with a gun in my hand, huh, Shannon? Did you hear what I told your boyfriend, Mr. Val? Slate! Slate, you're hurt! I'll take the hurt away from him in a little while. Get on this wheel. Uh, I'm sorry, sailor, I lost it. Come on, get on the wheel. You know something? I forgot how to run a boat. If I took the wheel, this boat would go around in circles till we ran out of gas. I can blink an eyelash, Mr. Val, then shoot you dead. Slate can run the boat. That's a big coincidence. I forgot, too. What's on your mind, Slate? Throw my gun overboard and I'll see you get ashore. Where I want to go? Key West. You got my word for it. All right. That was my gun, Johnny. Now yours. Now I'll take the wheel. How much water, sailor? About seven feet. Eh, won't be long now. I can see the lights from the coast. Take another sounding, sailor. All right. Four. Better cut the motors. Now two. All right, Johnny, jump. Jump? That's right. I can't take the boat on the beach. You'll have to walk from here. Go ahead, jump. All right. Go along, Johnny. I'll find you, Slate. I'll find you now. Hey. What's the matter, Johnny? This beach. There's water on the other side of it. Where am I? <laughs> so long, Johnny. How did I do, sailor? I don't know what you did. I told him I'd put him ashore my part of the bargain. That sandbar is a mile from Key West, but it's part of Key West. The tide will be in in a half hour. He'll drown. Get on the ship to shore phone, sailor. Get the Coast Guard. Give him Johnny's position. If they hurry, they'll get him alive. 
am I? Nurse. Take it easy, Slate. I'm not a nurse. This is sailor. Water. Water. So help me, Slate. If I thought you had a fever... Oh, the room is spinning. Everything's going black. I've got no pulse. I'll go get you one. Oh, thanks, nurse. I'll be right back, baby. It's time for your ten o'clock feeding. <laughs> Why are you nurses always talking shop? Come here. Let go of me. Oh, come here. Boy, you really have got a fever. And so our two stars, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, have brought to a close our latest Bold Venture story. Special music was composed and conducted by David Rose. May we invite you to listen again next week at this time for another exciting adventure starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall together in Bold Venture. And that's Bold Venture from April 16th, 1951, with a bullet for Shannon, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Also in that cast, Howard McNear. Hope you enjoyed that. Time now for Mr. and Mrs. Blandings, a comedy series that starred Cary Grant and his real-life wife, Betsy Drake. Now, writing the coattails of the 1948 hit film, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, came a radio series. Now, their dream house was built, though nothing in it worked very well. The trials and expense and disillusionment of getting the house up are over now, and we get a glimpse into the Blandings' life together. It had a rough start on radio. Critics slammed it, but once it hit its stride, it did pretty well. In fact, well enough to be compared to other husband and wife airings of the era. The supporting players included Sheldon Leonard, Elvia Allman, Cliff Arquette, and Gail Gordon. It was sponsored by TWA and lasted one season. We have a broadcast for you now from April 29, 1951, called Child Psychology. Here's Cary Grant and Betsy Drake in part one of Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Flying's the way to travel, and the way to fly is TWA, Transworld Airlines. Presenting Cary Grant and Betsy Drake as Mr. and Mrs. Blandings in a new series based on Eric Hodgins' best-selling novels Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House and Blandings Way. Did you know that approximately every three minutes around the clock, a TWA Skyliner is making a landing at one of the airports along its 32,000-mile route? You love to fly high up in the sky. You ride the airways, starry stairways. Smoother and swifter, flying's the way. And the best way to fly, T-W-A. Mr. and Mrs. Blanding, starring Cary Grant and Betsy Drake. As you know, 
Jim and Muriel Blandings always try to be good parents to their two children, Susan and Joan. They've read books on child care, and they've attended lectures on child care. And from their wealth of experience, they have learned one thing, which, as Jim Blandings puts it, is... Child psychology is the answer. Child psychology is proven. Child psychology is tested. Our children always use child psychology. And we're the best-trained parents in town. <laughs> Muriel is well-trained, too. And so it was with quiet competence that she met the situation last night when her nine-year-old daughter, Susan, appeared and said, I won't be home for dinner tonight, Mother. No? Why not, dear? I'm going to run away and get married. <laughs> Susan, you can't do that. This is a school night. <laughs> now, now go wash your face. Mother, look at this article. Let's see, um... The girls of today should prepare to become the mothers of tomorrow. Well, that's true, isn't it? Yes. As a matter of fact, if they don't, I wouldn't know who to tell to get ready. <laughs> but still, I say you're too young. What's that noise outside? Oh, that must be Johnny now. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Susan. You still want a look? <laughs> Why not? This letter's awful heavy. Oh. Well, I'm not sure it's proper, but I'll come down and help you. Just a minute, Susan. Johnny. Hi, Miss Blandings. Johnny, you stay right there. I'm coming down and have a talk with you. Uh-oh. And you stay right here, young lady. I'll talk with you later. Hello, darling. Jim, I didn't know you were home yet. Just walked in the door. Well... You better walk right back out again. You have a fatherly duty to perform. Oh? Johnny Miller is waiting outside to elope with Susan. Johnny Miller and Susan? Muriel, have you been nipping at the raspberry cordial? <laughs> Jim, this is serious. Look out that side window. All right. Great Scott! He's putting up a ladder. You see, he could slip and come smashing to the ground. With my good ladder. Yes, and carrying one of your best daughters mm. I'll bring him in for a talk right away <laughs> Well, Johnny, it seems like a good time for a man-to-man -man talk Man-to-man? -man? Gee, thanks Don't mention it, and try to keep your voice from changing <laughs> Now, uh, sit right here, my boy Yes, sir Cigar? Not right now, thank you. A drink, perhaps. Anything you say. Coke is my drink. Mm. Mixer? Straight. Good boy. <laughs> you know, two fingers of Coke. Neat. Now, uh, <clears throat> uh, you want to marry my daughter, eh? Well, I guess so, sir. You guess so? It's something to do. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. So you decided to take Susan for your wife, eh? Yes, sir. It was either her or Agnes, and Agnes wears bands. How's that? A fellow wouldn't want a girl who has her teeth wired in. Of course not. Of course not. She might rust. <laughs> now, look, Johnny, don't you think Susan might be a little young for marriage? She's only nine. That's the right time. Get them while they're like putty in your hands. Because <laughs> I remember I had somewhat the same idea. Because my wife was 20 when I married her. That's okay for you. Personally, I wouldn't take a chance on an old maid. 
I was in no position to shop around. <laughs> Johnny, I hate to intrude with mundane matters, but wives have a nasty habit. They expect husbands to provide them with little luxuries like shoes. Oh, Susan has shoes. I've noticed. <laughs> You're very observing. Now, supposing you're married to her. Those shoes wear out. She's got to have new ones. Then what do you do? We just have a fight about it. I see. <laughs> then she goes home to her mother and dad. Yeah? While she's there, she has them buy her new pair of shoes. <laughs> well, you've got the situation pretty well figured out, haven't you? Sure. I know these things. I listen to the radio. That's how John does it to his other wife. I see. <laughs> Now, Johnny, I'm afraid we can't permit Susan to be your other wife. No? No, I'm sorry, but I think it's best that you wait until you're both a little older. I want you to finish grammar school and high school and college. And finally, when you have a fine job with the future, come back and we'll have another talk. Will you give me another Coke? I'll put one in the icebox now so it'll be cold. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. Shake. Shake. I hope the steak is all right. It's fine, Maud. Well, eat slow. At the price the butcher charged for that steak, you can't afford to swallow fast. <laughs> price control. <laughs> you, know, you know, something's got to be done about Susan. No, Jim, Susan's just going through a phase. Think back. Didn't you have any young loves? What, at the age of nine? Well, hardly. No interest in the opposite sex? Well, at that stage, the only thing I knew about sex was that it came after five. <laughs> well, of course, I, I, uh, I admit, I, uh, I did follow one girl home from school. But that was only to see the billy goat she had in the backyard. And to think I was flattered when you courted me. Yes, yes. Well, eat your dinner and don't worry about Johnny and Susan. It's not serious. Not serious? Muriel, imagine what the neighbors would think of us if those two had run off. What kind of parents would have a nine-year-old daughter running off to get married? Move over, Lem. You're standing on Grandpa. Muriel. <laughs> no, by heck, it's Grandma. Hard to tell. They're both wearing the same color flower sacks. <laughs> what? Uh, were you calling me Mrs. Blandings? Yup, Amy Lou. Bring in the corn squeezins and a chaw tobacco. <laughs> what? Oh, that is Mrs. Blanding's bucolic way of suggesting that you may serve the coffee and cigarettes. Uh, yes, Mr. Blandings. Oh, Maud, have you looked in at Susan? Oh, yes, um, She's lying there in bed with the sweetest, most innocent smile on her face. Fell sound asleep listening to that radio program, Gruesome Murder Tales. <laughs> I'll get the coffee. That's it, Muriel. That's what, dear? Well, that's the trouble with Susan and all her friends. All the kids know today they learn from soap operas and jazz records and television. Well, you might say that their brain food is all canned. <laughs> There's some truth to that. Of course, they go to school. Well, school's fine, but, but it was after school that we lived. Games, hiking, camping. Muriel, let's get Susan started in the Girl Scouts tomorrow. Well, Jim, there aren't any Girl Scout groups in Lansdale. All right, then the campfire girls. No campfire girls, no bluebirds, not even any Boy Scouts. If you want a good deed done, you have to send to New Haven. <laughs> well, that's going to be changed. I've got a good mind to bring it up before the civic committee meeting tonight. What? And interrupt their poker game? Before it starts. I'll get up before them and I'll say, Gentlemen, 
The trouble with our modern children is that their knowledge of the world is gained from soap operas and jazz records and television. Their, their, uh, what was that phrase I used? I thought it was rather clever at the time. What was that? Oh, yes, oh, yes. The one that goes, um, their brain food is all canned. Shall I write it down? Oh, no need for that. I'll think of something to say on the spur of the moment. <laughs> meeting of the Lansdale Civic Committee is now in session. Charlie Smoot will read the minutes of the last meeting. Uh, uh, meeting was called to order at 8-5. Mayor Cronk presided and Fire Chief Gibbons banked the poker game. Business discussed was the purchase of a new flagpole for the school, the cash settlement of the Witty Hickey's claim, and the motion was passed to send flower to the late Edgar Yates, city exterminator who exterminated himself. <laughs> The meeting broke up promptly at 10.30 when the ace of spades fell out of Constable Arquette's sleeve. I object! So did we. Tonight you're playing your undershirt. Now just God blame Myrna. Yeah, I order, order. Let's get the business over so we can get to the poker game. Mr. Mayor, there's a serious matter I'd like to bring up. Have to wait your turn, Mr. Blandings. First of all, we'll have the treasurer's report. Go ahead, treasurer. Uh, <clears throat> gentlemen... <laughs> Balance in our city treasury is approximately $126.42. Uh, depending. Depending on what? Depending on how I do in the poker game tonight. And the great balls of fire. You mean to say you're using city funds to play poker? Uh, I didn't mean to say any such thing. Oh. Just slipped out. <laughs> As long as the treasurer's here, I'd like to bring up an item. The city's got to be getting me a new uniform. Well, what's the matter with the old one? Yeah. What's the matter? Just take a look at the seat of these pants. Say, they are wearing kind of thin. Thin? For me, every little breeze does more than whisper Louise. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Constable. We'll see what we can do. Yeah. Now let's get to the poker game. I beg your pardon, ma'am. There's a matter I'd like to bring up before this meeting. Okay, but you're holding up the game. <sighs> Gentlemen, you are the civic fathers of this community. What are you going to do about children? Keep having them. <laughs> now that's settled, let's get started. I'll stack the chips. 20 whites, 10 reds, 5 blues. Gentlemen, please. This is a serious problem, a matter of deep concern to each and every one of you. Do you know what we urgently need? Two more blue chips. Right, two more. <laughs> no, not two more blue chips. There is a crying need in this community for organized recreation for our children. We don't have a single youth organization, no supervised play, no program for carrying on this all-important work. That's true. All children know today they learn from soap operas, jazz records, and television. Why, you might say... Yeah, you might say all their brain food is canned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good, eh? Mr. Blandings, I'm sure you were about to make a point. Now, what is it? Just this, Mayor Cronk. I think we in this community should do something for our children. Well, Mr. Blandings, in me, you have an ally. Good. Then I'm sure you will support my proposition, which is that we appoint someone to institute a youth program to, well, for example, to conduct weekly nature trips. Hikes into the woods, that sort of thing. Mr. Blanding, that's a beautiful thought. Mm. I do support your proposition. Nay, I go further. 
I propose that you be that person. Good. Me? <laughs> hey, you can't do this to me. Anyone second the motion? Second. But you can't do this to me. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Motion carried. Congratulations, Mr. Blanding. And cut for the deal. You did it to me. Good work. <laughs> Now, the second act of Mr. and Mrs. Blanding, starring Cary Grant and Betsy Drake. Well, it's happened again. Jim Blandings has deftly and efficiently put his foot in his mouth. Last night at the Lansdale Civic Committee meeting, Jim suggested, in a loud, clear voice, that somebody should conduct a program of nature trips for the children of the town. The committee quickly agreed that somebody should, and unanimously appointed Jim to the role of somebody. And so now we find Jim, keenly aware of his civic duties and responsibilities, doing what any red-blooded American citizen would do, trying to figure a way out. <laughs> Let's join him at the breakfast table with Muriel. Gus, I, uh, I could say I broke my arm, or my leg, or maybe I can have the measles. Yeah, I could paint spots on my face. Oh, now, really, Jim? More coffee, Mr. Blandings? Oh, that's an idea, Ma. Drown me in it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Blandings, I saw your name in the paper. You were right between handy hints and the obituaries. <laughs> Tomorrow I may move over. <laughs> that's the first portion of Mr. and Mrs. Blandings, starring Cary Grant and Betsy Drake, called Child Psychology. More after these words. The proud and honorable men and women of our military are still overseas sacrificing their lives and their families' emotions for another country's freedom. Please pray for the courageous troops of our military. This salute, courtesy of designer decks by MJ in Morris, where they are working hard for the future of our great community. For information, call 815-941-4910. That's 815-941-4910. Designer decks by MJ is thanking our military for their dedication and their service. After the news, it's the conclusion to Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Plus, we'll tune into the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. That's coming your way, so stick around. <laughs> 